0: this is historic oddities the podcast that will one day be a historic oddity i'm jamie
1: and i'm dj uh
0: hey dj why are you wearing that halloween costume Uh, from like four years ago
1: oh this thing uh i don't know we might need it for this episode
0: Well, for all of our audio-only listeners, DJ is dressed head-to-toe like a mummy.
1: It's so comfy.
0: I Yeah, and I, I don't want to just crush your spirit today because you're really into this costume, but unfortunately, our podcast is not going to be super fun. Why? Um, well, so we're talking about... Eating mummies today?
1: Did you say eating mummies?
0: <laughs> yeah, I did. I said, Who would want to eat a mummy? Well, to talk about that, I think we have to go back to the beginning.
1: Of time?
0: No, not exactly. Just to the beginning of the story.
1: Oh, okay. Where are we? Wait. This looks like a Roman Colosseum. What does... Rome have to do with mummies. I'm so
0: lost. That's correct. We are in a Roman Colosseum. The idea of medicinal cannibalism, that's eating or drinking parts of a human body to cure what's wrong with you, goes back really far. Actually, the whole way back here to ancient Rome. Okay. There are reports of people watching gladiator shows people who fought to the death and holding out bowls or cups to collect their blood to drink.
1: Oh my goodness.
0: Well, they were hoping to cure epilepsy, mostly, but it was used for so many different things. And a lot of people just wanted to see if they could gain the strength of the gladiator that it came from.
1: How did they get this idea?
0: Well, you'll find that there were a lot of strange ideas about the human body throughout time. So I guess maybe now we have somewhere else to go. Welcome to 11th century Persia.
1: Wow.
0: Modern day Iran.
1: What? Persia becomes Iran?
0: Yes, welcome. And welcome to the mountains.
1: Beautiful.
0: Yeah. Oh, see that up there? That? Yeah, mm-hmm, that right there.
1: What what are we looking at?
0: That sticky black thick substance right there in the mountain.
1: Yeah, I see it.
0: Oh, well, that right there is a seer or seyali. Um bitumen.
1: Uh is th- what what?
0: It's also known as mummia. Mummia? Yeah. Think about what you typically see on a road on a hot summer day, or really thick tar. That is naturally occurring asphalt. hmm The word mumia came from mum or moom, which roughly translated to wax. This flowing, black, thick substance was wax-like, but whenever it wasn't warm, it became hard. So the western Europeans who found this in the mountain didn't really understand what they had found. They didn't understand the translation of mummia and what it meant. They definitely did not understand the cultural significance of this sticky substance. And while this was a new discovery for Europeans, it was a cultural antiquity to the Persians, the Arabic world had seen mum or mumia for many, many years. It was a lucrative business. You could make a lot of money finding it, selling it. People wanted it because it was used for medical purposes. Soon after, they encountered ancient embalmed remains from Egypt. Things that look like you. Like me? Yeah, just like you. Dressed like you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But they were very dark in color, and they were, of course, ancient. And so the Western European people at the time said, oh, they're probably covered in what we saw in the mountains, mummia. And they called them mummies. Gotcha. Yeah. I never knew that. Yeah, that's where we get it. Well, to be fair, they weren't completely wrong but they were mostly wrong. And it was kind of common knowledge at the time that something was used to preserve those ancient remains. And they believed that it was this naturally occurring asphalt, but we'll find over time that that's only partially correct.
1: So they thought they were in that asphalt or pulled out of there? Or what?
0: No, they believed that that naturally occurring asphalt was rubbed all over their bodies.
1: Oh, I see. I see.
0: Yes. Well, and if you remember, that naturally occurring asphalt had medicinal purposes. Right. So
1: Ah.
0: now you're connecting the dots. Yeah. They're going to (laughs) eat (laughs) you. So let's talk quickly about how a mummy is made. Egypt is definitely not the only place in our big, beautiful world where you can find a mummy. And they are famous for mummies, but mummies have been found on every continent. They have been human. They have been animal. And there have been mummies that were found that predate Egyptian mummies by thousands of years.
1: See, when I think of mummies, I automatically go to Egypt and pyramids every single time.
0: I think most people do. But there have been North American mummies, South American mummies, mummies See,
1: crazy. all
0: over the world, in, in Europe, in different parts of the continent of Africa, Asia, everywhere. Mummies can be found in two different states. They can either be naturally formed when conditions in their environment just don't let bacteria and fungi grow, or they can be purposefully made.
1: So, like, if someone's found, let's say, frozen in the ice, would that be, like, considered a mummy?
0: I believe so, yes. We've found mummies in really hot, dry climates and really cold, dry climates. I think it counts.
1: Okay, all right.
0: Ancient Egyptian mummies fall into the category of a purposefully made mummy. Although historians do believe that some of the very first ancient Egyptian mummies were probably accidental just because the climate is so hot and so dry.
1: Right. So it's almost like the accidental natural occurring state plus experiments over a long period of time led to like what we see as mummies today.
0: Exactly. Like Bob Ross says, happy accidents. Right. Right. Making an Egyptian mummy took about 70 days to prepare from start to finish. The entire process was very ceremonial and special to the Egyptian people. It was steeped in culture. And essentially, the person who passed away was cleaned, rinsed with wine, and then their brain was removed through their nostril.
1: That's a lot of dedication. (laughs) Mm -hmm.
0: After that, their internal organs were removed and stored in jars called canopic jars, Their heart, though, was left in their body. That was believed to be the seat of their soul, and they needed that in the next life. The dead were then surrounded by a powder called natron. That's a form of salt that was found in the Libyan desert, and it was used to dry the body. And that took somewhere between 40 and 50 days. Once the body was dry, then cavities were filled with Clean, dry linen, if it was needed to make the person look a little bit more plump and lifelike. And then they were covered in resin and perfume. Amulets were placed on the body and makeup was put onto the face. And then they were wrapped, sometimes in up to 140 feet of clean linen. So that resin that I mentioned.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, that's the hotly debated topic of the first part of this podcast. Mummies are dark in color and Western Europeans, especially those in medieval times believed that mummies were prepared with that mummia in the mountains. Right. Well, it was discovered that yes, naturally occurring asphalt was used. However, It was mostly used in the third intermediate period around 750 BC and also during the Roman periods. We know now that for the first 2000 years that mummies were made and they were being purposely and lovingly made in Egypt, they weren't using that naturally occurring asphalt.
1: So it's more for like the newer age mummies.
0: Yeah. They still used resin, just not... Mumia, or bitumen, they used other resins. And over time, as things age, we know that they get darker in color. When they did start to use it, they used it very sparingly, which makes total sense. It was super expensive. And they already had a process that worked really well. So when they used it, they just used a little bit here and there. It was always in addition to the materials that they already had been using for thousands of years. So the chances that a European person would get a mummy that had any bit human mummia asphalt on it was very rare in the first place, but oh, did they try.
1: See, this is interesting because I didn't know that there were so many mummies in history. Like when I think of mummies, I think royal mummies, like only certain high-level ranking individuals were made into mummies. But I'm learning today that there were many, many, many mummies, especially if they could just acquire them somehow.
0: There were a lot of mummies. Yes, you're correct in saying that people with means were often made into purposeful mummies. But over time in Egypt, a lot of people were interred. and had a lot of love and care put into their burial. Maybe not in fancy sarcophagi like we see in museums, but they were mummified. Right. I think for this next part, we have to hop back in the time machine.
1: I love this part. After you.
0: Here we are. Medieval Europe.
1: I love Europe.
0: Mm, I'd like to give it a time... Stamp, but honestly, people ate mummies for like six hundred years.
1: Uh, I just realized I'm dressed like a mummy. Uh, let's remain hidden.
0: It's probably a good idea. If they don't eat you, they'll at least cut your hand off and put it in a cabinet uh, of curiosities.
1: That's fine. I got two of them. Whatever.
0: <laughs> at this point, Egyptian tombs had been being raided for a really long time for their beautiful jewelry, pottery, antiques. But now, those w- that were eternally resting. Well, they're up for grabs too.
1: I'd be scared to raid a mummy's tomb. I feel like i just get cursed or something.
0: This is the time period when mummia becomes really confusing. It's not translated correctly from that sticky stuff back in the mountain in Persia to what a mummy is. And so in apothecaries, pharmacies of the old times, we see mummies the ancient remains of Egyptian people being sold as mamiya, that sticky substance that actually had medicinal benefits. And so they're ground up or sold as resin in the pharmacy. I
1: don't blame them because I can't pronounce 95% of medicines I see at the pharmacy anyway. So <laughs> makes perfect sense to me.
0: <laughs> A doctor at the time described... Mummia as resinous, hardened black, shiny, and somewhat acidic, bitter to taste, and had a fragrant smell. Ugh. People at the time took it for so many different ailments. Human mummia skull was often powdered and mixed with chocolate.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nah. Yeah. Mixed with chocolate.
0: Absolutely. Wasn't it Mary Poppins who said a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down? Yeah. Well, there you go. Chocolate helps the human skull go down. Helps
1: the mummia go down. (laughs) (laughs) It
0: does. (laughs) It wasn't just lay people who were enjoying mummia. Of course, royals were in on the trend. King Charles II of England, he ruled from 1660 to 1665. He loved mummia. In fact, he loved it so much that he had his own brand of mummia. It was called King Drops.
1: Oh, my goodness. It
0: was mummia, human skull mummia. Right. Mixed with herbs, so it was a tincture. And then he put some alcohol in it, too, just for good measure. So he just
1: conjures up his own recipe and sells it.
0: I don't know if he marketed it and sold it himself, but it was made for him. He was a king, after all. Okay. Here's the thing, DJ. It's about to get weird.
1: Get weird? It's been weird. <laughs> what can get more weird than eating mummia and making skull powder and 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 using it for medicine? What are you talking about?
0: Well, ancient Egyptian mummies are not a renewable resource. And
1: obviously, when, when
0: they're gone, they're gone.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: <laughs> and the Egyptians are really good at hiding their dead. In fact, we're still finding some of them today.
1: So yeah.
0: Well, people kind of caught on that maybe, just maybe, not all of the mummia that they were ingesting was actually from Egypt.
1: Don't tell me they were making fake mummia. They were. Oh, God.
0: Close Supply to home. And <laughs> locally sourced mummia. Uh, mm-hmm. Go on. Yeah. So sometimes the apothecaries were just getting some recently deceased people from. Nearby.
1: And no one caught on to this?
0: Some people did, I guess. But actually, it really wasn't a hot topic of debate on whether or not you should eat dead people. It was just common practice that you did it.
1: So they didn't really care where it came from. It's just, mommy, let me have it.
0: If it was in the mummia jar at the apothecary, I think people turned a blind eye and just believed it was from this mystical land that they had never seen.
1: I guess they didn't have a generic name for mummia.
0: There was no generic. <laughs> this is where we start to stretch what the definition of mummia really is in the apothecary. We've already started to locally source some people. But what if... The plants that grow above a grave are also medicinal now. Of course. Right. So moss grows above a grave or a plant. We could probably rub that on something or put it in your nose to stop a nosebleed because it just has the essence
1: wouldn't you of the want, person. Wouldn't you want alive things to try to be more healthy? Why, why is it like let's ingest all this dead stuff? It's weird, right?
0: I'm so glad you said that. Why? This is right around the time when Europeans bring back the old blood to cure what ails you from the beginning of the podcast.
1: I don't understand. There was no gladiators in medieval times,
0: though. Correct. But we have executioners. Oh. Grab your cups and your bowls. Oh. Oh. I found this amazing quote from the time that said, an executioner was a social leper with magical powers.
1: So he had a good job.
0: Well, I don't think he had a good job.
1: Well, job security, I guess.
0: That's true. No one wanted to go near him or be associated with him, but they definitely wanted to the blood that came from the end part of his job.
1: I wonder if like the supply and demand for this substance of blood or whatever made it more easy to like convict criminals.
0: Oh, maybe that's (laughs) another podcast.
1: Yeah, maybe.
0: But don't think that you just had to drink the blood straight out of the cup. I mean, you could, but there were plenty of recipes from this time period showing you how to make marmalade from the blood. So you could put it on your toast.
1: So, I wonder if they had like books of recipes and everything's just like add blood. And at this point in the recipe, add blood.
0: (laughs) (laughs) During the Renaissance, some very bright people realized that bitumen mumia was not the same as ancient Egyptian remains. The two are not the same word. And that somewhere along the line, it got confused. And so doctors stopped prescribing mumia.
1: So you're telling me after all that time of consuming this stuff,
0: mm-hmm.
1: they realized it wasn't even what they thought it was.
0: They started to view it as ineffective.
1: And uh, <laughs> imagine being someone that's been taking it for like 20 years and you're like, oh, this isn't.
0: <laughs> I know. And it was... Part of European culture for hundreds and hundreds oh, of years. My goodness. Well, I wish I could say that the obsession with mummies ends there, but sadly it doesn't end there at all. Well,
1: you can see my obsession with mummies.
0: I sure can. Mummies were not just used for medical purposes, they were actually used for entertainment.
1: What, like puppets? Sometimes no just I, kidding I joking
0: you're kind kidding. of let's find out i think we need a second episode
1: i think so thank you all for listening you can find us on apple podcasts spotify and amazon music don't forget to follow us and give us five stars it really drives us up the charts and helps us find more oddballs just like you
0: to join in the oddball community conversation and to watch episode teasers, follow us at Historic Oddities on Instagram and at HistoddPod on Twitter. That's H-I-S-T-O-D-D-P-O-D. If you have a great idea for an episode, then send us an email, historic at gmail.com, and you just may hear it on the next episode of Historic, historic Oddities. Oddities. Later Oddballs.